Welcome to the Consciouspreneur Podcast, where we discuss and apply the principles of mindset, leadership, and business building strategies that align with our purpose, honor the people we work with, and generate a sustainable profit. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Consciouspreneur Podcast. My name is Dr. Mary Maduna Gross, and today we're speaking with Nina Foriup. Um, Nina has been in TV, film, and video production her entire life. She has seen it all, from the early days on independent features to big national TV commercials, corporate mega shows, and Emmy award-winning documentary films, including one she produced and directed called Abraham's Children. Nina has negotiated with teamsters, clients, actors, crew, children, police officers, a few dogs, and even a snake. All of them are worth great stories. Today, Nina is excited to enable business coaches and service-based entrepreneurs to create easy and impactful video marketing so they can attract their ideal clients and be disruptors in their industry. Nina loves spending time outside, especially in the Swiss Alps, where she's from, and her owner is a Dachshund Yorkie mix named Tigger. Nina, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me, Mary. <laughs> oh, this is going to be delightful. So. There's so much in that um, intro that I want to dive into. So let's just start with one of the first pieces, the Swiss Alps. Right, which is where I am actually right now. Yes. <laughs> I love that. So your your family's originally from the, the Alps. Yep. Yep. I was born and raised, not in the Alps in Zurich, but, you know, close okay. enough. <laughs> sure, yeah. sure. So, you know, as we're, we're going to talk about your experience as an entrepreneur, but would you say now that you're in the U.S., correct? You're US-based yes. now. Yeah, I've been US-based for 33 years. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So tell me a little bit about how you think your experience as a child in Switzerland, in Zurich, shaped you um, that might make you a little bit different than someone who maybe grew up in the US. Um, I mean, first of all, I think there's a lot more independence for children in Switzerland. So when I tell my friends who have children that my nephew at age three was or four was walking alone to kindergarten, they just blanch and faint. Um, that's just not something an American parent can even fathom. Um, so there's a lot more independence, maybe more so than like growing up in America in a rural area. But I mean, I grew up in Zurich, which is the biggest city in, in Switzerland, which, you know, with agglomeration is only a million people. So we're just talking completely different um size relationships right um i think also uh you know the culture the, the cultural differences um you know on the surface we're all westerners on the surface um even, you know a lot of swiss people speak really good english but the underpinning and the undercurrent of culture is very very different and i think the biggest thing that i always bump up against even now after 33 years in america is Switzerland is based on consensus and is based on um, never on the loudest voice in the room, which America very much is. Um, so it, it's culturally just um, in Switzerland, very important to for everybody to be included, for there to be every voice heard, for there to be the joke always is in Switzerland, no one's ever happy because everybody had to give in a little bit to reach to whatever consensus we came. And it goes as far as we have the same political setup as America has, which is based on, you know, Lafayette and Benjamin Franklin yakking and coming up with 
that the system we have, uh, but the Swiss system is true to how we are, that we don't have a president. We have seven ministers and no seven ministers as a gremium rule the country. So um, it's it's an indirect direct democracy, but we don't have a president. We have a we elect out of those seven ministers one guy a, a year who has to fulfill all the sort of ceremonial obligations. Um, but it's not they don't have more power or anything. They just have a, a tighter schedule. <laughs> <laughs> more responsibility, it sounds like, too. Yes, more <laughs> for that one year. Yeah, 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 exactly. Well, that's really fascinating. I love traveling. I, I was just telling you before we, we hit the record button here today that my husband and I had a chance to spend about a week in Zurich last fall. And it was absolutely beautiful. Very foggy, unfortunately, on the week that we were there. But um it it does feel different being in different places. And I think that's what I love about travel. Yeah, I think I think being exposed and having a little time in one place to kind of get a sense of what the culture is like and how how things work differently, right? The responses, even if you just go and buy, uh, buy a coffee or, or, you know, you just immediately get a sense of how different it is. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for, for that context. I love, uh, again, the, the contrast. So let's focus more on you. So tell us a little bit about your entrepreneurial journey, um, into video, have you always, I mean, in your intro, we said you, you've always been in video production. Yeah. Yeah. How yeah. early did this start? Um, so it started with me um, being, um, well, how did it started actually in Switzerland when I did an internship at a local TV station. It was the first privately held TV station in Switzerland. Happened to be a duolingual one. They spoke it was news in English, business news in English and in German. And I got an internship clearly through what we call vitamin B in German, which would be vitamin C in America, which is connections. I I, I knew someone's father who got me the job and uh, I was an intern and that kind of uh, got the fire started for uh, media, for things that are not, you know, done at a desk or done the, you know, sort of the traditional jobs that would have been available or that I even could phantom, right? I always thought I would end up being a journalist because I like to write, I like to read. And my parents thought that um, that would be a good job for me as a wife and husband with, uh, you know, wife and mother, which I was sure to be. Um, so something I could do from home. Um, and that was sort of my world view. And then um, I came to New York for a one semester stint, sort of the one year abroad before, you know, you go back to life and do the marriage thing and all that. And um, I, I, I just discovered that the school I went to, the new school, they had film classes and I took some of those. And I never, ever looked back after that. It was just a love, love at first bite or sight. And um, I just loved it because it was it was everything in one, right? There was the technical aspects, the business aspect, the financial aspect, the huge creative aspect, which touched on all of the art forms. Um, and there was the people aspect, which I loved, loved, loved being with people and, co and communicating and, and, and being, being in a team and all that. So, um, you know, I just never, I just never went home after that one semester. I mean, I've been home plenty. Oh, of course, <laughs> you're home now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's my home now. New York is my home now. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you stayed. Um, tell me a little bit about this, this experience in New York and, what is it felt like as you were describing it something came alive in you is that true yes. 
That is 100% true. How would you define what came alive in you? I think it's an experience that a lot of young women have that come to New York. I think um, it was a it was a series of things. For me, first and foremost, I was shown a world that I didn't know existed. I was shown a world where a woman could have a career and say no, and, and it was okay to be single. Um, I mean, to this day, being single in Switzerland as a woman is not, not the funnest of propositions. I see it with my sister, who is a, a single mother. Um, and, you know, there's, there's just, you're being excluded from a lot of social um, going-ons and, and hierarchy. Um, and in New York, that's just not a topic, right? I mean, half of New York is women. Um, and then just being shown um, that, you know, it's it's okay to to be yourself. There's no judgment. Uh, there's no, you know, talk of the city when you do X, Y, or Z, or don't do X, Y, and Z. Um, and it, so it was the anonymity of the city. It was the fast paced lifestyle, which really um, suited me really, really well. Um, and no one ever told me to shut up and not be so loud. Um, if anything, I needed to amp it up myself. So all of that combined was for me just such an awakening um, that happened. I mean, it happened within that first semester, which is also why I never went back. But it also happened over successive years as I was learning to stand up for myself as a producer to um, say no or say yes when I thought it was right and not when I was intimidated by, you know, some dude who thought they they had they had it over me. So um, that was all a learning process, of course. Oh, of course. Um what kind of social network did you were you able to build? Because all of those kinds of things that you're talking about, the learnings or unlearning, right? What you had been mm-hmm. taught as yeah. a child, and now you're like, oh, I don't have to. I can be single. I I can be as loud as I want to be. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me a little bit about the social network that helped you supported you through that. Uh, hugely varied. So, I mean, on one hand, I went to school, so I had classmates, but I went to the new school and the new school was um, founded after World War II to help um, uh, soldiers who came back from the war that were a little older um, get get additional education. So it was it's a school that mostly has their classes at night. I don't know whether it's that way this day, but back back in, in 30 years ago, that was the case. So the people I met in the school were not your traditional students. A lot of them, I had a dentist in my class. I had a woman who did development uh, for Scott Rudin. I had, I had all sorts of, you know, professionals in, in the class and those became my first friends. And then, um, I had, you know, some Swiss connections, not many. And quite frankly, those were not of importance to me back then. There was like 10, 15 years later, that was a huge community that I went into and did a lot of work with and for, et cetera. Um, but back then, you know, the last thing I wanted was other Swiss people. Um, and then lastly, I just went out. I went out to bars. I went out to discotheques. I love dancing. And, you know, here it is. Like, you don't have to wait for Saturday night to go out dancing. You can go out dancing to three different clubs every single night if you choose to do so, or if you can afford to do so. Um so and, and I was just always super lucky. I always met just the most um, wonderful people, um, and 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 I'm also the kind of person who you know I make friends really quickly, which Americans do as well, right? It's very easy to ch- start chatting with people in America, and to make the, the sort of those that first layer of superficial friends. Um, whereas in Switzerland, it's all it's also like it's your best friend, or we're not friends, right? It's sort of 
there is that that layering of casual friends or community related friends. Like now that I have a dog, all of a sudden I have a whole gaggle of dog friends. Um, so and 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 we do go out and do stuff together, but we're still just dog friends. Whereas in Switzerland, it would be like, ooh, I don't know, you know, just because we have a dog and we're chatting, that doesn't mean we're friends yet. So again, very different cultures. So yeah, so I, I think it was just me really going out and experiencing New York to the fullest that I could. Um, and, and just building a network that way. Yeah. I love how you're embracing everything along your path here You know, m- making this move, embracing what is showing up and, and is now being revealed to you as possibilities within school and all of these connections. So did you stay, um, in the industry for a while before you became an entrepreneur or did you kind of jump into entrepreneurship early? Fairly quickly. And it was, it's sort of a funny story. So, I mean, the idea of having my own company, of course, is something that I had in the back of my mind, but never thought was ever going to happen. Or, you know, it was, again, I, I had grown up, I've been raised to be a mother and a wife, a well-educated mother and, a, and, and wife, but not, you know, the whole entrepreneurship was not sort of that I thought something was particularly a, attainable for me. Um, but then came the pesky, um, issue with, um, running out of visa options and the, um, the lawyer that I had the immigration, the lawyer that I had at the time said, you have two options. Option one is you're getting married for a green card. Option two is you're starting your own business for a green card. And it took me about a fraction of a second to think about that one. I'm like, okay, we're starting the company. Um, and we just, this June, we had our 25th anniversary. So, um, Congratulations. Uh, Like seven years in. Yeah. Yeah. So I started clockwise um, out of necessity, but it also was the right moment because I was working at that point on corporate video. I was sort of doing a dual thing between corporate video and documentary because it complemented each other really well. And uh, one was for the money, the other one for the soul. Um, And, and I didn't see myself doing that corporate work. I didn't see myself growing as a video, a film, as a filmmaker and as a video producer. There was not much growth potential as a freelancer in that world. So starting my own business at that point actually really made a lot of sense. Wow. I love it that the, how things are lining up for you as well. Um, so you're, you're moving into your own business. Who were your clients at that point? So in the very beginning, we're talking, so I started um, 1997. So I most, I did what was sort of the low hanging fruit and people had already like approached me about that. I became a service provider for German and Swiss, Swiss, I mean, German speaking Swiss um, agencies that had to shoot in New York. So I I did production service. So I was sort of their fixer in New York, um, sometimes also across America, but mostly New York and help them with whatever they needed um, on on site when they came over to New York. And and that died a very quick and sudden death on 9-11 because no one was coming to New York anymore. So four years into my business, I didn't have a business anymore on the 12th of September. What do you do now? I mean, not now, now, but um, what do you do on the 12th of September, right? Yeah, yeah, no, on the 12th of September, yes. I mean, it took a couple of months to get over the shock and really realize 
that nothing is working anymore, right? People are not getting visas. People are afraid. Um, you know, the American government is being a complete asshole about anybody coming into the country, no matter whether they're from Switzerland, Luxembourg, or from, you know, Afghanistan. So um, I had to just pivot really quickly and do the same thing I had been doing just for Americans now. So, um, and, and much broader than, so it's not just being the fixer, it's actually being the production company. And um, I sort of had two two tracks that I was doing. One was smaller companies for which I did the whole thing and kept the whole profit that I was able to make or then being outsourced to from really, really big um, event production companies that did these multi-million dollar shows for Fortune 500 companies, mostly pharmaceutical because pharma has an unsatiable appetite for video content. Um, so I would be outsourced two from the really big mega mega companies um, and do stuff for Pfizer and Merck and Johnson and Johnson and and you know American Express etc um because I was way too small I would have never survived the vetting process by, by those by those giant giant fortune 500 companies um so that was a good balance again right on one hand um, you, you have sort of the smaller companies where you actually get to consult with them and really help them create that. Back then it was like that one video, right? That cost $20,000 and was like that video they were going to put out for the next two years. Right. It was a very different world, right? Yeah. yeah. What helped you get through that pivot? Because as you say, like a, a one day my business is there and the next day it's not. How do you move through that? You know, you just do. I mean, I don't think, I mean, I always, for me, it is always like, what's the alternative, right? So it, it, that's always been my question in every situation in my life. And very often or always the answer is there is no alternative. I'm doing what I'm doing because I chose, I chose what I'm doing. It's not, I mean, yes, it sort of kind of also sometimes happened, but I was doing what I was meant to do. So there was no alternative. Um, the alternative when I was younger was go back to Switzerland, get married and have children. That was a hard no. Um, the next alternative was uh, stop having clockwise and going back into those big corporations and only, you know, be at the mercy of the, their jobs or not jobs or whether the person hiring liked your nose or didn't. Um, or staff was completely out of the question because I had family in Switzerland. I didn't want to do the American BS thing of only two weeks of vacation a year. That was completely out of the question. So there was, there was, I felt there was never an alternative to do but what I was doing. So I just, I just kept plugging along. And um 9-11, I got a loan, which was the biggest mistake ever, a loan from the SBA, which I paid off for 15 years at a ridiculous um rate. Back then it was a good rate, but a couple of years later it was ridiculous. And um I, I remember the day I paid that thing off. That was not too long ago. It was like, geez, you know, finally, like, you know, every single day, every single month, a thousand dollars extra that you need or that you're paying for nothing. But I got that loan, and with the loan came a couple of grants. So that gave me a bit of a breather the first year out of 9-11, because my offices were at ground zero. So my offices were um in in the 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 core zone they had zones yeah. like mm -hmm. war zones right so sure yeah my goodness yeah. you have a very strong mindset yes yeah <laughs> yeah if nothing else yes I do yeah so where did your documentary come in um, this timeline 
The Abraham's children um, is definitely apropos 9-11 was sort of my way of digesting 9-11, maybe I want to say. So I had this ridiculous opportunity, which never happens, um, where um, there was a nonprofit that needed to get some they had an overflow of money and they needed to get rid of it. And I happened to know the right people. So I got a pretty, not a great budget, but a decent budget. And I was given some, I, I was given carte blanche on my topic as long as there were some, a couple of uh, parameters were being met. And one of them was cultural and one of them was children. So um, I went out and set out to portray a couple of children, Muslim children in New York and how their lives were as Muslims in New York. Because at that point, about 10% of the school population in New York City was of Muslim Muslim religion or Muslim. Uh, well, there's what I learned is there's the religious part, there's the cultural part, and they're not the same. And so um, it was a bit of a I don't know whether it was, I mean, hindsight, probably not my topic to choose because I knew nothing about it. I started from scratch. It probably would have been um, a, a better topic for me to just, you know, research and learn and not do a whole documentary about it. Um, but it was it was a it was a phenomenal journey of, of you know, just starting off from scratch and just visiting mosques and seeking conversations and being handed from one person to the next person, the next person. And I had this amazing young woman who worked with me who was equally as tenacious as I am. And um, it's as much her film as it's mine. The two of us just um, willed these families <laughs> into existence. Um, and and it became, it became, it was a very sweet film, but as one of my mentors said, it's missing the teeth. So um, it, it did really, really well on educational distribution, um, sold a lot of um, copies to universities and libraries, et cetera. Um, but, you know, it wasn't like uh, it didn't it didn't go it didn't go to Sundance. I'm not, not that sure. anything ever gets to go to Sundance anyway. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, it sounds like an amazing project. And maybe it was even part of your healing after 9-11. Yeah, I think so. I think so. For me, that was certainly, but it, and it also showed me um, creatively and where I am and where I'm not. And I think today I would create a completely different, given the same topic, it will be a completely different film because I have a much better understanding of who I am and, and what, what my creative capabilities are and what they're not. Yeah. And isn't that fun? I, that's the, what I love about getting older and having more experiences is looking back and saying, oh, I would do that so differently now. Now that I know what I know now, it would be yep. completely different. But yeah, I don't like it, it's and I don't hear regret in your voice either. There's no regrets on it. No, it's it just no, it was a great experience. And and sometimes I think it can be more valuable to know what you do not want to do. Yes. Agreed. Want to do. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. All right. So Tell us a little bit more now about what you do currently. So since 2015, 16-ish, um, you know, my my business collapsed. I mean, the, the, the budgets that I had went went down into the cellar, as I like to say. So what a budget had been $100,000, now suddenly the same client wants the same thing for $10,000. And I'm not I'm not exaggerating. So I was like, okay, this is no more fun. And then again, what is the alternative? Going back to freelancing? Uh-uh. I did that for a couple of years off of the dock just to get my coffers 
<laughs> up, up and running again. But um, I was like, okay, you know, I was around about 50 at the time. And I'm like, okay, this is sort of my, my last hooray <laughs> before I sail into the sunset. And um, so I just, I said, okay, it's going to be all digital. That's something I wanted to do for a long time with, you know, family in Switzerland, my father getting um, older. My mother is quite a bit younger than my father was. So I knew that there was going to be a time where I wanted to be able to spend more time in Switzerland or wherever. And so being all digital was really important to me. And I, I really sort of fell in love with the whole, like there were like, so the early on people who were talking about, you know, productizing yourself and putting courses out and having massive email lists you're selling to. And um, I just jumped into that world both feet first and, and just started blogging and started um, taking courses. There was this one course, the first one I ever took is build, build, uh, build a list of 10 K followers in three months, you know, and I'm like, yes, I can do this. And by like six weeks, I was like, I, I nearly threw my computer at the wall because every step was like such a massive learning for me. Cause I, I had no clue what lists were, what, um, you know, I, I was sending out like once a month a newsletter through constant contact, but I had no clue about tagging and, um, client segmentation. And I mean, all that stuff was totally new. So I was learning as fast as I could, but I, I didn't get the 10 K I did not get the 10 K fall in three months let's put it that way uh but you know my entire family signed up for my newsletter they're very gracious about it. nice <laughs> <laughs> and so originally i'd given myself three months um to do this whole transition and it's like six years later and i'm feeling like i'm finally getting there <laughs> Um, so nine, not nine, sorry. Uh, the COVID was, it was, it was a blessing for us because it allowed us to not have to start talking from scratch anymore about why video. It was amply clear why video at that point. Um, and so I felt like we could skip a whole conversation that was very tedious and, and jump right into the doing of it and say, guys, you need video. I know we, we know you need video. Let us help you. Um, and you know, the early days of working with clients was all about, this is the equipment and this is, you know, this is a camera and this is how you show up and this is how you light. And then very quickly we realized that's really not what it's all about. And then we sort of focused on the editing part. And I, I got a partner at that point, a business partner. And so we're like, ooh, editing, editing, editing. And then we realized, no, it's not about the editing either. Um, and now, now, you know, fast forward a couple of, of months or years, it's all about the mindset, right? And content creation, surviving, surviving the content creation game and doing it smartly and with strategy and with the right kind of content to attract the right kind of clients. And such that it doesn't become a full-time job because it's not our full-time job. I mean, for us it is, but not for other people. So um, no, it's so that's really where where we're now at and and helping people get over their fear of of being what you know, fear of either not looking the way they think they should look. And certainly for me, I, I didn't think it was very much fun to show up in front of the camera after a career behind the camera at age 50. Um, and, uh, and even more so the fear of not looking good intellectually. So who's, who's going to want to listen to me, um, and giving people, especially generation X and baby boomers, 
showing them how they can give themselves permission to show up and to shine and to be heard and to be seen. I I like that you're calling out those particular generations because I I think... Yeah. You don't have to tell a millennial to show up and shine. No, no, absolutely not. They have been practicing that from the very first time they they turned on the iPad or the iPhone. Um, Okay. So a couple of the challenges I heard you mention is um, just showing up on camera. Do I look good enough? Um, And then showing up on camera, do I sound smart enough? Yep. Um, And those are both mindsets. Yes. Issues. Are there, Mm -hmm. are there other kind of big blocks that are common? Um, Yes. Okay. So I normally talk about three things and I I put the showing up into, into one block. I mean, that's like one of the issues, although I'm learning that that is the, that's the hardest one because it's a mindset thing. Right. Um, But the other two I, I like to talk about is, is the overwhelm of, Having gotten, and that's one of my big pet peeves, is having gone either listened to other people or having gone through other courses or having just thought about it and not acted on it and being stuck in the overwhelm of all of it and not even knowing what it is that they're stuck on. It's just like a... You know, I don't I don't even know where to get started, and and that that one is actually fairly easily fixable because a you know the only piece of equipment that we talk to our clients about is your phone, and um and maybe it's a little tripod for the desk, and and we leave it at that because you do not need more than that. Um, that's number one, and then number two is just we have some really simple exercises to start thinking about your strategy, um, and because a lot of people think, oh, and then this, and then that, and this has to be. Yeah, I was like, no, 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 no. Let's keep it just really simple. Is like, this is what you're selling. This is what you're talking about on social media. This is the call to action you want to attach to what you're selling on social media, and this is what you want the people to do. And, and and hence the call to action afterwards. And in the end, what we want, we want to collect emails. We want to connect with people who are our ideal clients. And right. that's all we're focusing on, right? So, right. Um, and if you can keep it that simple and that streamlined and you 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 put people through the right sequence of, um, we, we, we love our worksheets um, because we think anything that you actually work on yourself and not just get blah, blah, that um, you retain and, yes. and hopefully implement, yeah. So that's number one. And then number two that we talk about is, um, and it ties into both of them, is not being clear how to attract those ideal clients on social media. Um, So not not having a strategy. Yeah. So... Do you do you work with all three of those topics then? Do you do some of the mindset work? They tie all they tie in together. You you can't do one without the other. And we do have uh, different programs and courses. And um we have one one big course to co we call it the connect and convert cohort. And that sort of addresses the whole thing from uh, you know, strategy to content to shooting to editing and to then hosting and posting your content, um, and that's sort of the the overall. Let's let's just get all of our building blocks in, into proper order okay. and make them work for us, such that it does. It, it I always say I want your videos to be as easy as writing an email, right? It's just another delivery tool that you have at your disposal. Um, and then we have other courses that focus strictly on sort of the, the strategy part, the content part, 
Um, and 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 because that's the ongoing conversation. Once you've learned how to shoot and how to edit and how to what your distribution mechanisms are, and you have that play playbook, mm-hmm. um, then you're set with that. Uh, but the ongoing is a lot of people we noticed do our cohort, and they know perfectly well how to create quick, quick and easy videos, and then they go back to their old ways. And I was like, no, 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 it's not so fast. So we have, you know, we created a club uh, for those people who have done our cohort. And now we're like, that doesn't work either because it's too exclusive. We need a bigger, we need more people to support one another. So now we're we're, we're starting a, uh, we're calling it the LinkedIn Content Lab. So it's going to be a way to talk about content, not, not just isolated video, but content in general. Like how do we fill our content, fill our content calendars? How, how do we, you know, how do we give each other accountability and support um, that the first, you know, it's always like the, all the excuses in the world that I've heard about why there is no video on a post. Um, it's like, uh-uh, we're not going there. Because if you're batch producing, if you're planning, um, there is no such thing as I had no content and my dog barfed all over the carpet. And that's why I didn't put out a post today. So. Oh, you're you're hitting all of my favorite excuses. <laughs> <laughs> out and that's okay I there there's time for me to grow into this as well so it sounds like one of the things too that you are you're doing with your clients is building community with them that has always been my partners and my biggest goal is to build a really solid community um it it sounds easier than it really is um because if you're building a community around it's easy to build a passive community, but we don't want a passive community. We want an active community. And we also learned the very hard way that there are communities that you don't want. So last summer, we actually had a community that we let go um, because we had the wrong people in the community. Not that they were not good people. They were lovely people, but they were not the kind of people that we could work with or wanted to work with. Um, so, um, we, we shut down a program just because it just didn't work. Um, and now we started building it again, much more carefully this year. And this year, 22 is a very different year than 19, 20 and 21 was And what worked in the past years does not work this year. So this year has been challenging and very interesting. (laughs) Yeah. So even within the industry, the industry is shifting enough that you're, having to shift yeah, to keep I up think, with it yeah yeah i think the the purchasing behavior so we work with only only with service providers and i'm saying that saying that as i just signed a new corporate client who sells chocolate i'm like oh my god how delightful <laughs> as a swiss person signing a yes. chocolate client um but anyway um we we work exclusively <clears throat> with service providers and and our niche is sort of um other uh, business coaches uh, and and consultants and sort of that that world and um that the buying behavior and and also the sophistication of how people react to your forays to connect with them and potentially invite them into one of your courses, even if they're free courses, has really, really changed. So there's a lot more sophistication and a lot more questioning and a a, a lot more um, uh, sort of 
people are not that easily anymore convinced that you are the right person for them, right? They they have a lot more choices. They're getting a lot more uh, savvy to the fact what works for them and what doesn't. Um, I don't know anybody who's ever bought a course that was not guided and actually did the course unless their house was on fire and it was exactly what they needed to do right then. And it was a short course, right? But um, so there, there's a, a lot of... Um, a lot of material out there that that is not good. So people have gotten a lot more cautious. What does that mean then for us in terms of creating our content? What it means is that if we are, and this is something I'm working on for, for my on myself as well as for my clients, is if we are not a hundred percent authentic, and I know it's an overused word, but it's just the best word to use. If we're not a hundred percent authentic with how we show up and how we talk about our offerings. Um, you, you, I don't think you're going to sell. And Can you give me? I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt, yeah, but, go ahead, but, go ahead. but but could you give me an example of what authentic looks and feels like versus what it doesn't look and feel like? Because I think maybe um, we want to show up authentic. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's a brilliant question, and the the best way I can answer it is just with an example because I am a storyteller, and I'll get to why I'm mentioning that in a hot second. So. Um, you know, we've been, we've been, you know, we have our little social media machinery and until April, March of this year, I had a young woman who wrote content for me. So there were certain pieces that I wrote myself, but most of the bulk of what went on social media, she wrote for me. She was super brilliant, really smart young woman. And then her directing on Broadway career took off and I sat there with pen in hand and was, you know, stuck with writing my own content. And I was like, oh, holy crap. And um, so the first thing I did is I cut our content calendar on social media from five days to three days a week. I'm like, I'm not writing five pieces a week. Um, and the pieces got really short and to the point. And but what I also realized immediately is in looking at her content and I mean, I approved all of it. It was vanilla. It was certainly all of our talking points. It was everything we teach. It was beautifully done. And there were nice long posts with perfect expose, but it wasn't my voice or my partner's voice. It was her voice, the best way that we instructed her to do it. And the moment I took content creation into my own hands again, A, I owned it much more. B, I, I'd like to say we went from vanilla to, you know, spicy wings. Um, and I immediately saw two things happen. I A, after it took about two months, three months until my 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 phone calls that I'm booking for sales calls doubled. Like, like I mean, it was it, it happened like one one week, all of a sudden, boom, it went crazy. I'm like, okay, it did take two months for people to kind of latch onto it and maybe it took two months for me to warm my write myself warm. Um, but but the effect was pretty immediate. The other thing that happened is um in doing in starting to write my own content, I started realizing how our lead magnets just didn't perform well at all. And I always was a sucker for um, personality quizzes. And um, so I said, like, I want I want a personality quiz. And we're like, OK, what are we going to do a personality quiz on? And it was very quickly, like, evident. It was like, what video personality are you? So we came up with this quiz. And in doing it, 
first, of course, on ourselves and then on our existing clients and then on whoever wanted to listen to, um, you know, the fact that we were trying this quiz out and wanted to make sure that the answers rang true um, was this whole shift because we realized, oh, so there are types, there are archetypes or types of people of how they show up on video. And I now know I'm a storyteller but I also have an underpinning of an entertainer. And that's something I would have never admitted to myself or even known about myself. But in working through the quiz, that became very quickly, very apparent. And now I'm actually working with a coach to help me. The storytelling part, I've got pat down. But it, it um, I'm working with a coach to help me with the, with the entertainment part. And uh, we had a client, one of my favorite stories is um, Matt, who... Um, wanted to tell stories about, you know, client successes and all that. And his videos technically absolutely flawless, but they just were, they were flat. I mean, that's the best way I know to say it. And then we had him as, you know, one of our first guinea pigs to take the test. (laughs) And it was like, there was like, wank, 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 no storytelling, not an ounce of storytelling in this man. It was all about being an educator and intellectually sharing, you know, what he was all about. And once we realized that, and he actually confessed that he had taken a storytelling course a couple of years earlier because he was so bad at it. I'm like, well, we should have had that information. But um, now he just does these, he does a live with um, with guests and, and they go off on all the intellectual stuff that they want to talk about. And he does educational little, you know, like short pieces on social media. And he immediately signed two big government contracts out of that. So, I mean, I wouldn't say it was all, you know, the video doing, but I'm sure. And that is the authentic, that is the authentic, you know, the, because we're being told so many things, right? You need to do storytelling posts. You need to do this kind of post. You need to do a tip series. You need to do an FAQ series, blah, 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 blah. And all of that is good advice. But if it doesn't suit your personality or the way your brain processes information. I mean, I, I never forget Matt wanted to tell a success story of his two clients, let's say Susan and 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 Heidi. And he always would forget their names halfway through. Then he would call them something else towards the end. Then he would lose his thought of train of thought of the story arc. He just cannot tell a story, period. And story. Sorry. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well I, I love those kinds of personality um, little quizzes that just help us understand where we are strong and where we're not strong. Um, I don't like to use right. weakness, it's a but thing. yeah, it's not even a weakness. No, but I think it's just say, um, you know, and as we get better and as we do more video, I mean, I, I have a bit of educator in me and, and, but I do tip series really well because I've just been doing them forever. So, but I think for somebody who starts out and somebody who, um, you know, and also if you're maybe in a crowded field, if you can have that bit of a advantage because you're a brilliant storyteller, you're really, really wonderful motivator, then use that ability to your advantage. Yeah. So, you know, just this part of the conversation has really shifted how I think about video because prior t- to this shift, it was like video is something I have to do. Like, you know, it's the have to's. Yeah. Right. And what I'm hearing here is video is an, is an opportunity to show up as your authentic self and to communicate your authentic self with those people that you're, you want to attract. Mm -hmm. That's a beautiful way of putting it. I'm going to have to quote you on that. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> well, I, I'm always looking for how do I get out of this sense that I have to do something? Because as soon as I tell myself I have to do it, there's internal resistance. Like I'm oppositional defined enough, even with myself, that I know that if I tell myself you have to, it's probably not going to happen. Yeah. There you go. It's like having to go to the gym, but if you sign up for a race, um, yes. it's a different thing, right? Because now you have an in- incentive. Yeah. Great example. Great example. Well, thank you for helping me make the shift uh, with video today. I absolutely have enjoyed this conversation. Where can the listeners find you? Um, So first and foremost, our website, uh, clockwiseproductions.com. You will also find the quiz on the landing page. Um, And then I always love to add, if you want to see us in action and actually do what we preach our clients and our our community, uh, then please just follow me on LinkedIn. I'm the only Nina Farib on LinkedIn, unless I manage to, again, open up a second account, which I've done twice in the past month. Okay. Because they keep offering me my Google email. I'm like, and I don't pay attention. But anyway, I'm the only Nina Farib on LinkedIn. That's to say, um, you know, if you want to see it in action, then that's a great place to go too. Excellent. And if I could, I'm going to add on to that. Um, we also have the Consciouspreneur community on LinkedIn, and Nina is a member in that community. And this is a community that, that we're also wanting to build. Um, really, this this what I imagine the space to be is that space where that entrepreneur can get access to any resources that they need. And everyone who... Um, that I've spoken to about coming into this community is aligned with those values of the consciouspreneur of, of, pro, of purpose, people, profit, and planet. So if you, um, I would invite the listener, check out the consciouspreneur group on LinkedIn. And if you haven't subscribed to the magazine, um, that there will be a link to the consciouspreneur magazine also in these show notes. So Thank you, Nina, once again, for sharing your gifts with us. I've absolutely loved this time with you. Thank you, Mary. Thank you for asking awesome questions. I really appreciate it. Excellent. Thanks for listening. We're not just a podcast. We're a community. So before you go, we invite you to join the Consciouspreneur Mastermind community. We are a powerful movement of high-achieving, impact-focused entrepreneurs who are leading the charge, making the world a better place through business. We offer a comprehensive suite of tools, techniques, support, and direction all rolled up into a community-driven inspirational launch pad. We will nudge you out of your comfort zone and into your genius zone so that you can lead your business with clarity and focus. If you're looking for a community of like-minded and like-spirited people who support your personal development and business growth, well, you found the right place. Plus, we have a lot of fun. After all, if you're not having fun, you're not doing it right. Remember, we're all in this together. Check out the link in the details in the description below and help our community grow by liking, subscribing, and sharing the content. We look forward to having you join us next week. Until then.